Welcome to The Word in Ed, a show that explores the world of education. Each episode, we focus on one word and use it to provoke new thoughts, explore new trends, and discover how to improve education. This is The Word in Ed. The Word in Ed. Superhero. It's our pleasure to welcome Larry Rosenstock and Young Zhao to our show. Great to be here. Likewise. Welcome. Yes, welcome to the show. As you know, we take one word in education and explore that word with experts in the field. So, um, Larry, why don't we start with you? When you think of the word educational superhero, what comes to mind? Well, it's kind of a disturbing word because it suggests that somebody is going to fix everything for us, like someone saving our planet like Superman or something like Mm -hmm. that. Uh, Maybe some people mean who was heroic in your career and your life that is somebody who influenced what you do. That's a different story. If it's the latter, I could see it. If it's the former, it makes me very queasy. Young, any response to that question or to Larry's comment? Uh, yeah, but by the way, I think that's, you have to talk about two words, three words here. You know, don't fool me, I'm, uh, English is my second language. You have education, <laughs> super, and hero. You got three words in there. But anyway, so that, I, I'll go with that. It more reminds me of what I call, and like Larry said, it's when you think about superhero, not only hero, someone comes to save the world, or mm-hmm. supermodel, you know, that, that's another thing. What's mm-hmm. a supermodel, you know? Like, like Larry mm-hmm. always talk about uh, a, a non-functional replica, that's supermodel. That, that's, uh, that's, but, but, you know, to me, I think uh, I, I would concur with Larry very much that is um, individuals may have someone who really have changed their life uh, from mm-hmm. an education perspective, and that would be a superhero. But if we are looking for someone, you know, like it's going to come here, deliver a wave of magic wand to save the world. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that exists. So let's explore the idea of heroic. You talked about heroic people, heroic, heroic acts. What were those in your lifetime? And either of you can jump in. And- well, I mean, I, I think Larry will be one. You know, that's, I'm glad you put us together because we're mutual admirers. That's the problem. We, we think <laughs> each other as a hero. But, but I, I truly believe this is that, uh, you know, someone who has a vision, someone who never gives up, someone who has uh, really uh, have uh, taken the courage to dive in, take the risks to to do something that he or she believes in and then deliver uh, good results for, you know, for a lot of children. Hmm. And I would pick, and I'll start with Young because I <laughs> because he's got guts. I mean, I remember I've been with him in Beijing many times where I've seen him speak, as they say, truth, uh, uh, truth to power. Uh, I've been, I've read, you know, be, uh, where the big red dragon, where he calls it exactly the way it is, or when we were in Napa, I remember, and he's showing all of the all of the uh, the, the the mass scores for all over the world. <laughs> he's asking mm-hmm. the three hundred people in the audience, "What does this correlate with? What does this correlate with?" And everyone's guessing this and guessing that, and then he says, "No, lack of innovation, use of chopsticks." That's what I love <laughs> about the guy. I, he's he's got a great sense of humor. And, and, and every time he makes a point, it sticks. And I respect him greatly for that. So I want to dig a little bit deeper. Both of you have had a really illustrious career in education, both in the classrooms, outside the classrooms. But I would love to hear a little bit more when you were in school. I know that you had probably an array of teachers who were heroic in your eyes. Could you tell us about one of those experiences that you had as a child? I will talk about Bob Moses. Bob Moses later on does the algebra project right now. He also did Mississippi summer. He also worked on the Birmingham bus strike. 
He also organized the Freedom Crats, who were not seated in 1964 at the Democratic Convention in New Jersey, when the Democrats seated the, the Dixiecrats instead. And he sort of left public life, except for a little blip on uh, that he did on uh, Eyes on the Prize. And, and he was my math teacher uh, in the seventh grade in the Bronx, which a lot of people find astonishing, but he was. And my memory, besides the fact that he was a great math teacher, was that we would all, it would, our class was after lunch and he used tinker toys to teach us algebra. He also used the subway system to teach algebra later on in Cambridge, but that's another story. And it was so clever. And I remember that when he came back from lunch, we would all be sitting still at our desks looking at him and all the tinker toys would still be landing all over the room that we've been throwing around. Um, and then several other things that we've, I remember the, the lawsuit that he created in, in the People's Republic of Cambridge, which is a very progressive city, but it still had a lot of segregation. It still does have a lot of segregation. And, and he, and he, we, there was a, an involuntary uh, uh, lawsuit about that, which was really quite powerful. So this is somebody who I have seen from when I was a little guy all the way to the present. And he's soft spoken and very, very strong. And that is something that I admire uh, or sort of, in a way it's like Nelson Mandela once said, I come from a family of shepherds, we lead from behind. My story will be uh, uh, much less uh, actually interesting uh, and heroic <laughs> in that regard. Is uh, uh, I, I, I just take you a teacher as yeah maybe in my sixth seventh grade you know I, you know in, in the Chinese countries we don't count those grades those are too luxurious to count in seventh eighth grade we don't have those grades but uh, uh, if we had one this would be my sixth or seventh grade uh, this was a teacher uh, Miss Wang and uh, uh, what she did was really just heroic to me because uh, my family was really poor even though this was uh, you know just right uh, after the Cultural Revolution uh, it was ostensibly a communist education is supposed to be free because they get to wash your brain but you know that's uh, it's, uh, it's not exactly free so you had to pay some kind of miscellaneous fees and uh, we really didn't have money it was very little i think almost like 50 cents rmb which is like less than 10 cents us at that time for a, a half a year and if you didn't pay that money still couldn't go and uh, but this teacher really paid on my behalf so i was able to pay her back you know, during the, 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 the six months, you know, a cent here, five cents there. And uh, she allowed me, really, in essence, to continue instead of sending me back to the farm field, which I would have failed as a horrible peasant. Young, can you say something about the story about what happens on your first birthday on the round table in China when they put you on the table? Oh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's called SAT test, Larry. <laughs> or IQ test is that that is uh, they are uh, what they, they do you know when, when you are uh, when you approach your first birthday people would place different kind of objects on the table then let the baby crawl in towards everywhere and see what the baby would grab you know that's what interests you grab the, you know that's abacus you'll be a mathematician or or if you grab the pen you'll be a, a you know some kind of pencil it'd be a, a writer or a literary person if you grabbed i don't know some uh, in a hole you might be a farmer so that's the that's it was really interesting i think that's the ets in the, the original version of it <laughs> that's great so um i'm going to turn over to ron here i know he's been thinking about the flip side so yes let's explore this word a little further and what some of the problems are with the term superhero or thinking of heroic acts of 
individual teachers or leaders in schools? Well, I'll, t- I'll take a, a shot at that. When I think of the fact that I, I don't think you see a great school without a great school leader. I just don't think that that can happen or I have not seen it happen. So I think that whoever is in that role is, is really, is really, really critical. And the same way I feel about teachers. I mean, a school is as good or as bad as the teacher that you have at that moment. You could have a superhero teacher in the morning and a not superhero teacher in the afternoon. And the same thing is true in post-secondary, of course. I also have found that those school leaders who are the most powerful um, make as few decisions as possible. Again, coming back to the Mandela point of leading uh, from behind. I also think that those effective leaders are people who recognize that when people stop coming to them with with their problems, that they're no longer leading them. So they embrace uh, those problems. And those are the types of ways I think are helpful to understand what it is uh, to, to run a school or a set of schools successfully, because they're very, very complex structures in which people are giving you the thing that's most precious to them in their lives, which are their children. And it's a very, very intense uh, public trust. Um, in my own case, I have found that simple structures beget complex behaviors and complex structures begets simple behaviors. And so what you're really trying to do is have people act complexly by keeping it simple. I've got a follow-up question to that, Larry. You you said something simply is when people stop coming to you with their problems, that you're not leading them. How do you balance between the concept of team building, capacity building, when you've got great 10 superheroes in a room that can solve a problem, and maybe that team doesn't need to go to their leader because they're solving it within their group. So how do you wrestle with those, that dichotomy of capacity building and at the same time, someone that's leading from behind? That's a great question. In the case of our 13 schools, we have 13 directors and there are a lot of authorities that I don't did not give myself. I cannot hire or fire a teacher. Only they can. Uh, the directors and I meet every Monday morning for an hour and a half. And so they have a tremendous amount of autonomy. And I believe, and I think they would agree, that they're not being micromanaged. So yes, Laura, there is, you can't do it all yourself. That's the problem with this notion of the superhero. It has to be distributed leadership in which you are uh, having confidence in and developing the confidence of those uh, as you spread out and become uh, a, a larger organization. I think, you know, there is actually even, uh, you know, a, a different kind of problem uh, besides the classroom um, or school conceptualization of uh, superheroes, uh, or actually you can call it Superman or Superwomen, is that I think uh, when when situation gets bad on a large scale, wherever it is, or when we run into a problem, and it's very easy for demagogues to rise. And therefore, we expect those superheroes to come to save all of us. I, I see the danger now in the US. I see the danger almost all over the world. Uh, it's this rising expectation of, uh, of uh, a superman or superwoman or, or a machine come to save us. And then we, we as individuals, as the ordinary people, relinquish our own possibilities and to others. And then, therefore, we go out there instead of um, trying to do something ourselves and view that we can do something, we give up. Then we hope someone else will take over. 
I see the uh, in education very much like that. We are, you know, we blame the superheroes, the bad ones, for doing the making the wrong mandates, wrong standards, wrong testing. Then we expect some great people to deliver the best options, you know. So that every time we, we pass a new law, we laud it. It's going to save us. Or we pass a law we don't like, we think it's going to ruin us. But really, every one of us is in this thing. We got really changed our mindset. So that's, I think, now uh, at, at, at turn of century, we always say there's danger, the rise of dictators, of demagogues, I know. And that's what I'm, I'm most concerned about, that this term might bring in that kind of expectation. I'd like to raise a question that maybe some of our listeners might have. Let's imagine there's a person who really wants to make a change in their school or classroom, but does not feel supported by others um, in doing so and making that change, and is even feeling stifled or even trapped in the environment that they're in. What kind of advice would you have for our listeners? I have an operational suggestion uh, as a ground rule that you create within your school. Um, if I assume that you have a group of people, two, three, or maybe 12, who are interested in doing what you want to do, and by just by Ron's question that you've got several others who are not uh, so uh, inclined. What the ground rule is, some of us want to do something, and not everybody who doesn't want to do it has to do it. But those of us who don't want to do it won't be allowed to stop those of us who do want to do it from doing it. That way, let some people do it the other way and you, you know, start a little movement on the ground of doing it a different way. Don't try to change the entire place all at once. And then if you're successful with the small group that you're working with uh, and things work well, then you will bring more people over to trying it that way. Well, Ron, first of all, I really uh, um, admire and appreciate your confidence. You are assuming there are listeners out there. You think someone <laughs> will actually listen? Okay. Uh, I, I actually completely agree with Larry. I, I, I think it's that, uh, you know, for anyone, my, my thing is when well, Taoist is that you invite someone to invitation, uh, invite someone to innovation, but never impose your innovation upon them. I, I don't like people, you know, to write, impose changes on others. And the second thing, I think we we always have more freedom than we imagine. And there's a, a Chinese old saying, by the way, every every saying that's old is Chinese. And so it's called uh, uh, you kind of create your own prison. I think around you talk about panopton, that this concept, you know, that that is uh, we create that. I think a lot of individuals feel stuck because they are they are really not stuck. They can always unstuck themselves. I mean, really, uh, I I imagine from all my my time coming from from a, a very tightly controlled society and quite uh, you know impoverished area, I can always find something else to do. Or you do it. So, so I, I, I would give the person to say, yes, we have a lot of things have to change. A lot of people we can complain about. A lot of policies are horrible. And you know, the goddamn gravity always pull us down. You know, but I, I still think there are ways that you can do something about about that. What is the dangers when we think about either a model or what we call we're all going to have a school that's going to have these components? I'd love to hear your response to this idea of a superhero model or a superhero idea of a school. What's your reaction to that? The definition of a model in the dictionary is a non-functioning replica. So I don't think that model is a good word to use because um, 
because schools are far too complicated and they're messy because it's a big people business. And a lot of people think that 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 it, the answer is going to be innovation in the governance mechanism. Um, and I don't think that's the case because we've got a lot of schools that have innovation in the governance mechanism and they've just recreated the same very traditional schooling. So I think that innovation in, in the governance model is can be important, but in and of itself, it's basically an insufficient condition. And I think a lot of those little buzz ideas uh, like model are insufficient conditions. You know, I think, you know, they are, uh, one of the things I have uh, discovered is that people are look, always looking for those uh, non-functioning uh, replicas, the models to do, and they'll forget actually human beings created them. I think if every individual, you know, takes the responsibility, have the courage and confidence and to pursue what's good for humanity, those structures can evolve. I think, you know, the, and, and however, you know, in education, we really have uh, been trying to uh, de-skill a lot of people so they can't adopt so-called a model, an infrastructure, a structure, instead of saying that we are, you know, human beings, we can create and being, being creative is part of us. And uh, so, and we also have the desire to work together. So I don't think, you know, we have uh, spent nearly enough time to work with each other as a group of individuals in a school to innovate and all the ideas out there. Yes, is I think uh, the, uh, the, we've discovered a lot of things. However, I, I really think we spend uh, honestly you know, too much time looking for uh, a great structure, a great you know, uh, a model that might uh, deliver us to the promised land. You know? Yeah, and every school has a structure even though they might not realize it. For those of us who visited a gazillion schools over our careers, you can tell from the way the school allocates um, student time, space, and resources, what their philosophy is. They're not without a philosophy. And sometimes a more intelligent allocation of those things can, um, can get you a lot farther faster. Uh, but it's not any one of them in particular. If anything, what's most important in any learning organization is that the students have voice and choice in their learning and are creating new knowledge and that the the organization is a rich learning environment for the adults who inhabit it. Thank you both. You've given us a lot to think about. Provocative as always. Thank you again for joining us. Hey, this is, can we come back next time? Of course. Yeah, have you have many time. We can have a reoccurring spot for you too. I, <laughs> I just Thanks, gentlemen. I just want to thank all of you because this is three other dear friends of people who that I uh, admire greatly. And I also want to quote a nun I once worked with, Sister Margaret, who said, say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Until next time. This is The Word in Ed. The Word in Ed. <laughs>